0: God, we just thank you for uh, your life and your love and everything that you're doing uh, in the midst of this chaos. God, you're in the middle of it, and you're doing something supernatural, God, that we can't see, but we are trusting and we are believing, uh, and your word says you work all things together for the good, and so God, we come together right now standing on your word and your promises and your yeses, because your promises are yes and amen. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, The message today is called, uh, When Yes Looks Like a No, that there's sometimes in our life that uh, it feels like we're always getting no. We're being told no at every turn that we turn to. Um, But the Bible says that the promises of God are yes and amen. The problem with that is it's not always the yes that we want to hear. Uh, But at the end of the day, we're trusting that God knows best in his sovereignty and that he's working all things together for the good in our life. And so it might feel like for you a season of no's. But I want to tell you something, that if you are a child of God and you are serving God and you are his uh, child and you are in his kingdom, then you are actually uh, right where you need to be. And these no's are actually working towards a greater yes uh, for God's glory uh, and for his kingdom. Because sometimes a no can look like a yes, and sometimes a yes can look like a no. Uh, There's times when I'm uh, eating in the living room and I'm in my chair, my drink's empty. And so I'm, you know, uh, drinking in the ices, making sounds in the cup, and my wife will be like, hey, do you want me to go get you something else to drink? I'll say, oh, no, babe. I, you know, no, you've been working with the baby all day, and you've been doing this and doing church stuff, so no, don't, don't worry about it. And she sees right through all those platitudes and says, give me your cup because I know you're, you want more to drink, right? Uh, so there's times that it looks like, Right? I'm saying no, but what I'm really meaning is a yes. And there's sometimes that a yes ends up looking like a no. Right? Uh, like when you're asking your wife, um, hey, where, where do you want to go eat? Oh, anywhere. You, you name it and that's where we'll go. And so then as a husband, you name a place. And then her countenance and cadence changes in her voice, right? And she's like, oh, yeah, that, that, sounds, that sounds good. Let, let, let's go there, right? She's telling me yes, but in reality, uh, she's really telling me no. Uh, that sometimes we can misinterpret different situations, and we might be hearing one thing when another thing is actually happening. I remember my wife was studying for her master's. And uh, she had to pass this licensure test. It was really crunch time. So we were dating at the time. We were three hours apart. So we would have uh, late night phone calls. And she was like, hey, look, you can't be calling me late at night and talking to me for a long time. I've got to study. This test is important for my future. Like, I've I've got to have this test. And I've got to pass this test. And and so, so don't be calling me late. Don't be doing it. So... I take her at her word and honor her wishes. So I didn't call her. I get a call late that night asking, why didn't I call? (laughs) So she was telling me, don't call. But what she was really wanting is that my love would override her words and good wisdom and say, I can't stand not talking to you. So she was telling me no, but in a sense, she was really saying yes, I can remember in my own life, when uh, I got married and met him later in life, and so I remember going through life and wondering, God, is there someone out there for me and was in different relationships and never got a piece about it, and say, God, come on, this is a great person. How how come you won't give me a piece about this? And so there was all these no's along the way, but then I met my wife, who I could have never imagined or dreamed uh, would help me fulfill the potential that God had put inside of me and just be the perfect partner for me. So all those no's that I experienced and that, that look like God saying no to me all the time was leading me to my destiny and leading me to God's big yes. So if God is telling you no in seasons of your life, there's a reason he's got the best thing for you and he's leading you to A great big yes. And so I want to draw your attention to Mark chapter 3, verse 22. Uh, Now, previous in this text, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus is doing some really cool things. What I love about Mark is he hits the ground running, right? He doesn't start out with a genealogy or this or that. He starts out with Jesus getting it done. And that's exactly what's going on here in Mark 3. There's a guy that, that has a withered hand in a synagogue, and Jesus says, stretch forth your hand. The hand gets healed. He goes and he picks 12 apostles right after that, and then gives them the authority to cast out demons and and, and to do these really uh, cool things of healing the sick and and, and different things of that that nature. Um, Jesus is getting called out by the religious leaders because they're seeing these power demonstrations and God doing tremendous things in the earth, and they begin to say, his own family even says, Jesus, you're out of your mind, what's going on? Everybody's questioning and wondering. Where is this power coming from? Where is this power that Jesus uh, is operating from? And so the Pharisees can't say it's God because if they said that, then they would be saying that this man is a man of God that is worthy to be followed. And they knew they would lose their positions and their influence. So they begin to kind of take a different approach and say that it's probably Satan casting out his weaker demons, it's Satan telling his demons to go. And so Jesus addresses this power issue. Because we know Jesus has power, but how, come, how does he have the power? Uh, where does the power come from? And this is where uh, Jesus kind of gets into this text. Uh, Mark chapter 3, uh, verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub possessed by a devil, and by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan rises up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. So basically, Jesus is defending the power by which he's casting out Satan. He notes that if he's doing good works and casting out demons and setting people free, then the people that are saying he's doing it by the power of Satan have to say that Satan does good things. So they're in a really particular strange position because they're on one hand they're having to say Satan's doing good works or they're gonna have to give him credit for being who he actually is and that is the son of God. So Jesus tells them that a divided kingdom doesn't stand. Satan doesn't cast out his demons. He gives them full reign to cause chaos and wreak havoc and pull people into sin and degradation and illness and everything else that was plaguing the world at that time and that is plaguing the world at this time And he says, Satan doesn't cast out Satan. He says, only someone against that kingdom would divide. And so he's using these kingdom type thoughts, the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. And so he begins to defend the the reason and defend the power in which he's casting these demons out. So Jesus says something, you're rightly noting the power that I have over these things, but you're just giving it. The wrong definition. You're giving it the wrong source. And now he does something cool here in verse 27. He has this weird segue. Check this out. Verse 27. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Okay, so what a weird segue. We go from a divided kingdom, can't stand against itself, to Jesus saying, here's how to be a good burglar. Like, here's how to be a good thief. You want to be the best thief you can be, and you want to plunder the most things you can plunder? Find the strongest thing or entity or person in a house, tied up, and then you'll be able to steal anything that you want to steal. It's a really a strange uh, course of events. It's almost you read over it uh, almost glibly and think, well, that's odd, and then you read on. But, but Jesus is trying to, to say something here. He's trying to say that a thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But then Jesus says, I have come to steal, <laughs> right? It, it seems uh, contradictory. But the evil of theft is for me to steal something that is not mine. So when Jesus steals, it's righteous because when he steals, he's plundering things that are actually his. See, the stealing of Jesus was taking back what is his and what is those goods? That's you and that's me. It's to free us from demonic forces, demonic oppressions, demonic addictions, to free us from those things so that we might be who we actually are, which is his property and people of his kingdom. So he's telling the Pharisees, you're right in the fact that I'm stronger than every demonic force that's against me, but let me show you how I tie things up and take whatever I want to take. See, in Genesis chapter 1, there's a good God, we have a good world, that's then a created man and woman, that God says is very good. So we have a good God, a good world, good creation, and then men men and women are created, and God says it's very good and we were to be his stewards. We were to be his image bearers, his, his ones that would reflect the glory of God. And so we were placed in a garden, the Garden of Eden, and this garden was to be cultivated. Men were to be fruitful and multiply. And over time, this garden was to encompass the entire earth to reflect the nature and goodness and the glory of God. But what happened to this really, really, really good world is Sin entered in, and the covenant between man and God was broken. Men wanted to choose what was good and evil and take the knowledge of that separate from relationship. So they took the good from the life, but didn't want the life of the good. So, what that did was cause a fracture, it caused a vacuum. That covenant was broken, and man had to be. cast out of the garden so that they wouldn't be forever separated from God. This left a leadership vacuum. So man basically handed over his authority, his duty, and he hands it over into the hands of Satan, hands it over to an evil entity. So suddenly this creation, this house that had been created to reflect the glory of God now had a leadership vacuum in which Satan stepped into and began through his demonic forces and the spiritual realm begin to bring sin, sickness, and death. And so Jesus shows us this is what the world looks like when God is not involved. This is what it looks like when God is not in control. And so when this begins to happen, Jesus is sent into the earth to then undo what Adam did, to take back what Satan had stole and to restore it unto mankind. So in this leadership vacuum, Satan came into the house, God's creation and man, God's true temple, and man handed his authority to Satan and Satan's nature became the way of man. So creation then becomes a place where Satan can sow his ways in the world but also sow them in the hearts of men. In other words, God's house. He went into God's house, and he stole God's property. So how is Jesus going to tie up Satan and steal all his goods, i.e., me and you? In these words, Jesus declares that he has invaded the kingdom of Satan and that he's bound the strong man. He's put Satan in a position through his ministry on the earth to where Satan is tied up, he's bound, and he's still alive, but yet can't do anything against what God's good plans are. So Jesus... His life, his ministry, is the undoing of Adam. See, Jesus in the wilderness, as Adam was in the garden and fell in temptation, Jesus in the wilderness is tempted by Satan. Notice Satan only tries to tempt him one time, and he tempts him with the best things that have always tripped up men. He says, If you worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth. If you you do this, you know, God will will save you if you put yourself in this really. He tempts Jesus in all these kind of ways. He says, Make these stones into bread, like do a miracle to, to bless yourself. And Jesus doesn't fall for any of those things, and Satan immediately leaves, and Jesus begins to step into this kingdom dynamic to where Satan's bound. So at that point, Satan knew he was about to be tied up because there was no way he was going to get him off track. So what Satan then has to do is figure out how to get him out of the way since he won't be given to sin. So Satan begins to create a scheme through the empire uh, that he was uh, conducting and influencing and through the religious systems that had opened the door and let him in to orchestrate something to kill Jesus it looked like a great big no that Satan is coming in and saying no 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 to us no to everything no to any promise no to eternal life no to all these different things and so Jesus is placed right in the middle of the situation And his disciples don't understand it. Nobody understands it. But Jesus keeps going forward as if the plan's going exactly as planned. He's telling his disciples many different times as he's predicting his death. He predicts it several different times. We're going to get into that in Mark chapter 10. But he's predicting many times... I'm going to die, I'm going to be handed over to sinful men, and I'm going to be uh, crucified, but don't fret about it. Then the third day, I'm going to be risen again. Basically, they've got all these things in their mind because they're with Jesus, and they're saying, Jesus, quit saying no, because we've got in our mind how this thing ought to work out, right? But God's not telling them no, he's actually telling them yes, because he knows better than they actually know. So, so, how is Jesus enthroned? How is he defeating Satan? How is he going to bind Satan to where Satan has no power in our lives? He begins to uh, say how he's going to be on a kingly throne. He begins to declare to the world that this is how I approach my throne, this is my enthronement. Now, get this John chapter 12, verse 27. Jesus says, now my soul is, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now, how is God going to glorify his name? Get this. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Verse 29, and the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Verse 30, Jesus answered, get this, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now... Will the ruler of this world be cast out? So get ready. Now the ruler of this world is going to be cast out. How is that going to happen? Verse 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw, literally the Greek there is drag, all people to myself. Myself. Now we get the definition in verse 33. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So he's saying when I am lifted up, when I'm enthroned, I'm going to cast the ruler of this world out and he's going to be rendered powerless. Verse 33 tells us that here's what he's saying. He's saying that when I'm crucified... That it's in the moment that I'm crucified that it looks like a cross. It's going to look like death to you. You're going to be hiding in your home. You're going to be forsaking me when it seems like I'm, I'm arrested and, and things aren't going to plan, according, according to plan. It's going to look like a big old no in your life. It's going to look like the plans of God are no. But the reality is, is when I'm lifted up is when I'm casting the ruler of this age out. And it's when I'm stepping into my kingly authority. And it's when I'm being enthroned as king of the earth. It looks like a Christian. But Jesus says, no, it is a throne in which I'm declaring my rulership over the entire earth. Verse 34, so the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? See, they're trying to reconcile it. They can't believe that Jesus would have to die to accomplish the purposes of God. Like they've got in their mind what God ought to do and how God ought to be and how God should defeat Satan. Uh, But God has this totally other reality in mind that says, I don't care how bad it looks, God is still in control. And what looks like my death, what looks like the death of a slave, what looks like a curse being nailed to a tree, what looks like no is actually a throne of God that God is being placed upon to declare his kingship over the entire earth. It's no coincidence that the sign hanging over the cross was Jesus, King of the Jews. It was done in mockery, but what the devil does in mockery, God uses to make a declaration to the principalities and powers and the demonic realm that he is still in charge. Jesus is saying here, here's how I'm going to cast the ruler out. I'm going to be lifted up on a cross, and that will be the death knell to the reign of Satan. It's going to look like I'm going to lose, but in reality, I just went into the middle of Satan's living room. I tied him up and basically stole everything that he had stolen from me. It's the enthronement of God. It looks like murder But the king of the world is taking the sins of the world and putting his standard in the ground and saying, there's not one inch of this world that is not mine now. So it looks like a no, but in reality, it's God's big yes. So in your life, you might be feeling a great big no things don't seem to be going your way but what is looks like a no to you i'm telling you by the sovereignty of god that he is working all things together for the good and somehow he's going to turn it into a big yes look to your neighbor and look to or look to your dog and just say take that devil amen <laughs> read a couple of scriptures here. First Corinthians chapter 2 verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood this for if they had they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't realize by trying to get God out of the way they were actually enthroning him as king of the earth. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 and 15, 13 through 15, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing over them in him. So what the author of Colossians here, Paul, is saying is, is that it looks like God's being nailed to the cross, but actually it's your sin being nailed to the cross. It looks like Jesus is being put to open shame, naked and, and covered in blood and the spit of Roman soldiers and, and whatever else So that horrible event of crucifixion held and, and must have looked like. He says it looks like God is being put to open shame, but in reality what was being revealed was the heart of the demonic realm that kills anything that's good. So instead of Jesus Jesus being shamed, he's being enthroned. So God shames shame by putting himself to open shame to reveal the principalities and powers and to reveal his heart and how far he's willing to go to save us as his people. How far he's willing to go to tie up the strong men in the middle of his living room and steal everything that he's claimed is his but is actually God's. In reality, they thought they were shaming the Son of God, but the demonic realm was shaming themselves. Got one more text for you here. Mark chapter 10, verse 32 through 40. And the big subtitle here is, Jesus foretells his death a third time. Now Mark is always doing something peculiar in his gospel. He's always setting up a text to give us a lens on how to read another section of text. He does this all the time. And so that's what he's doing here in verse 32, Mark chapter 10, verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were afraid and taking the 12 again, he he began to tell them what was to happen to him. Verse 33, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. So this is the lens in which Mark creates for us to read this next portion of Scripture. Now, check this out, verse 35. And James and John, this is an odd segue again. He's talking about what's going to happen to him, and look at the question that the disciples come and begin to ask him. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. He just got finished saying that he was going to die, and they're asking uh, this crazy request. And watch what Jesus says, verse 36. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? Verse 37, and they said, grant us to sit, one at your right and one at your left, in glory. Okay, you getting the picture? Verse 38, and Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Where did we say God was enthroned? When he is lifted up on a cross. So they're asking, can we be on your throne on your left and your right with you when you are enthroned as king of the earth? Now watch what Jesus says to them here. Jesus says, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Cup is the cross. Or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized, baptism a symbol of death. Verse 39, and they said to him, we are able And Jesus said to him, the cup that I drink, you'll drink, and the baptism with which I'm baptized, you'll be baptized with. Verse 40, but get this, but to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, get this, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Basically saying my enthronement is the crucifixion between two thieves. Everything else you're going to share with me but in that moment when I'm being enthroned I will be counted among sinners and die amongst those who are thieves those who are rogues those who are great sinners. It's like Jesus saying that as my throne is going up on my right and my left hand are going to be two criminals. See, it doesn't look anything like a throne room, because if you're thinking of a throne room, you're not thinking of a a man being murdered on a cross, and you're not thinking of him counted among criminals, counted counted among transgressors. You're not thinking that. So Jesus is basically saying, even though it looks like a no and it looks one way, what I'm actually doing is so far beyond what you can comprehend and what you can even grasp that what's actually being happening, that's what actually is happening here, is I'm being put on my throne as the king of the universe and I will be in between two people on my throne but they won't be you see it looks like Jesus was bound and tied up at the cross he's got nails to his hands nails to his feet he's pinned to a cross if anybody's bound it looks like it's Jesus if anybody is tied up, you would say, Jesus is tied up right now. There's no way he's plundering anything. But it was through the binding of Jesus that Jesus binds Satan and ties him up. So while Jesus was being nailed to a cross, our sins were placed upon his body. And since our sins were placed on his body, they were being paid for. And God was doing something miraculous in the spiritual realm, and he was taking the power from Satan. He was taking the, the power that Satan has over you, which is unforgiven sin. And he puts all that on his body where Satan has no longer has any claim to you. He's He's got no, nothing he can say before the Father that's not forgiven and and covered before the blood of Jesus Christ. He's made us uh, his own uh, people. He's brought us near by his blood and grafted us into the blessing and the seed of Abraham. See, Jesus going to the cross was Jesus' big yes to humanity, and to God be all the glory for that event. See, your life might look like a no right now. But if you'll entrust it to Jesus, his cross can make it a big yes. Jesus is saying that this is going to look like a no to you, but it's actually his yes. It might feel like this in your life right now. It might look like, man, God's not in control. Look what's going on all over the earth. But Jesus being placed upon that cross was his enthronement his declaration that he is king his resurrection was the inauguration of that kingdom becoming in a reality so satan has been bound he's lied to you and made you think that he's in control He's allowed you to think that what you say about yourself and what others have said about you is the true reality. But I want to tell you that he's already tied Satan up, that all Satan can do is run his mouth. He can't do anything else. See, God has bound Satan by his death on the cross, and he's plundered his house. God has stole back through his death what is rightfully his See, God can take the most evil event in human history, the murder of God on the cross, and he can take it and says, "No, actually, that's not the most evil event. That's the most glorious event, because that is where I was declared king of the Earth." That is the place where Satan's head was cut off, and all you see is nerves twitching. He's not really alive. He's really defeated. And he's bound. And Jesus wants to rescue you. You are his trophy of grace. And he wants to plunder, not something that's not his, but he's going back into his own house, his own creation, and taking back what is his. See, not only can God make the crucifixion of God a good thing, he can take whatever you've been through. And he can make it good as well. And God can do such a deep work in your heart that you know what? He can make you good. He begin the process of conforming you into his image. So I don't care what it looks like today. Keep trusting and look for God's yes, even though everything seems to be saying no. God is up to something incredible. And every time Jesus drives out an evil spirit, there's an anticipation of the hour in which Satan will be fully defeated and have no power whatsoever. So these victories over these things are a foretaste of the age to come. So God wants to rescue you from this age, and he wants to give you hope in the age to come. Let me pray with you. God, we just thank you for every home group. We thank you for every household, God, that is watching this sermon. God, your yes sometimes looks like a no, but God, we're coming into the place of trusting you. And whatever we've been through up to this point, God, you can redeem, you can make good, you can work out in our lives. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would come into this room right now, that you'd come to the rooms of those that are watching, God, and that you would just arrest them by your Holy Spirit, and that they would know that the promises in you are yes and amen, that you are for them, not against them that you love them and you call them your own. And we give you all the glory and all the praise for it. In Jesus' name. I love you guys. If you want to at this time, if you're meeting in a small group setting, just offer a time of prayer. Offer a time of, of, of just whatever. You'll fill it out and, and kind of know what the... Uh, room is like uh, at this time and so thank you so much for joining us we love you god loves you and the cross is god's big yes to you that he loves you and he believes in you and he's going to do the work that you can't and he's going to get you where you need to go love you guys Uh, hope we get to meet back together soon but until then uh, we'll see you on the stream god bless